last time on the weekend it take j and t charters was sold dum dum first of all just understand that i had to make a business decision and one of those decisions was that i had to uh get this paper and unfortunately uh in this process uh, i was uh, uh forced to have to sell my controlling interest in jd fine pre-owned automobiles uh to uh someone that we are very much familiar with dr lewis was rattled doom doom my god jnt charters what's happened what about it Who, what do you mean did you did you not daniel i for what? one would like to welcome our new overlords what will become of jnt charters and will they ever finish that second topic find out on the exciting season finale of the weekend it take starting now, dum dum. I don't know what it's going to be called when it buys it, but uh, it's well, been it, purchased. It better be called J and T Charters, official Charters of the Memphis Grizzlies. Well, so. I, 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 I tell you, I tell you what. Let me let me just go ahead and and and, and we can go ahead and bring in the new owner, and you can discuss this with. Uh, excuse uh, uh, the audacity. Excuse. Hello, hello, everyone. Tis I, Chris Usman. And as you can see, I am very much alive, but no longer am I the owner of Chris Usman's fine smoothies. Oh no, oh no, 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 no. I am now the owner of a wonderful car dealership. We have all types of vehicles and with a generous donation from my brother, <laughs> you may remember him, uh, we are now principal owner of this dealership and we will be renaming it. <laughs> now see here, sir, Cristobal Uzman, or whatever, why have you acquired my company? Well, uh, it's very simple. I have come here to America and I want to just immerse myself into the American dream. And part of the dream is to own a large business that sells vehicles that may or may, be, may, or may not be questionable in their uh, mechanical abilities, but yet people will buy them anyway and I will make lots of money. A quick word of advice. You never undersell the merchandise like that, Cristobal. Uh, oh, uh, what, what, I appreciate that. Are, 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 you gonna, are you gonna keep it uh, called J&T J Charters? Official Charters of the Mimic Grizzly? Oh, no, no. I think there is too much of a tie to what was once an illustrious business. I think oh, now yes, I would refer yes. to it as Chris Usman's knockout auto sales. Ha. Yes, that's wonderful. It has a wonderful ring to it, does it not? I can't lie. It actually it does have a, yes. a, a wonderful ring. Not yes. quite as good as JNT Charters. I finished Charters and Mimi Greeley. But, but it's, 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 quite, it's like a close number two. It would do I, well I, on Instagram. What's, a, what's an Instagram? Yes, uh, it is the social media that you people use here so much. And what's, so, a, what's a social media? Uh, it, it is where we post pictures of vehicles and then we, we inflate the price of them. And then when people come, you know, we negotiate. I'm going to have to ask Tony why we wasn't on the, the Insta farm earlier. Yes. Are you still going to sell smoothies? Well, maybe, possibly there will be a truck that will be on the dealership site, but we will see how that works out. Did my brother tell you if 
do I work for you now? I've never worked for anybody in my life. Do I work yes, for you? Yes, it is wonderful. Your brother said you would be more than elated to work under a fine black man like myself from the motherland. He said that that would be nothing more important to you to do so. And he said that you would be elated and you would jump up and down with happiness because you've always wanted to be, uh, I believe as he said, uh, underfoot of a black man. <laughs> yes, I think it would be fantastic. Uh, well, that certainly that certainly is one way to uh, describe my feelings towards the situation. Oh, uh, some of the other ways would probably get us kicked off for F FCC uh, violations <laughs> and oh. whatnot. What is this FCC you speak of? I don't know. You'll look it up when I look up social medias later. Uh, good, good luck with the business. I think I'm going to go find Tony and see if he can help me uh, uh, with some of my... Oh. my... Uh, are, are you referring to Antonio Real, Antonio Real Talk Jackson? Uh, yes, sir. Oh, yes. He is my business partner. Uh, Tony is my boss now? Yes, well, he is a he is the head of personnel, so he will be uh, uh, in charge of all employees, <laughs> including yourself. But I was also told by your brother that you would be more elated, more than elated about that as well, because you have an affinity for the Antonio Real Talk Jackson, and that you've loved him as a son ever since you've met him, and that it would be just a huge deal for you to see him become. Uh, uh, a better man and to run the business the way that you would like to do so. Uh, yeah, this is this is why I voted for Donald Trump. Oh, okay. Yes, in my country, we refer to him as a grifter. But usually grifters just, you know, offer us water and they don't really have any. So, we, you know, that's what happens. Wait, oh, wait, wait a minute. Someone wants to say hello. Hold, hold, hold on. <laughs> yo, yo, what up, B? What's happening, son? Yo, it's your boy, Real Talk Antonio Jackson, yo. Hey, 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 have you heard the news, my mans? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yes, Tony, I've heard the news. Yeah, B, check it out. <laughs> Tomorrow's Monday, son. I'm going to need you there about six, yo. <laughs> That's in the AM, player. It's going to be a fun year, B. My God, welcome back to the weekend to take. JT Charters is under new management. Mr. Uzman has renamed has renamed the auto dealership. I mean, it's crazy out here. It's crazy out here. And this is part two of the season finale of the weekend to take. I am, of course, your man, your wife's favorite podcaster, Dr. Lewis. Not the third, by you, boy. And you know, despite our changing sponsorship, we're all back for you for part two of the season finale. That includes my man, Daniel Davidson. He's here. Yes, sir. I told you last episode we'd be okay, and we still okay. Stacking that paper. It is what it is. Let's get it. Yeah, we are back. That's true. Good point, Daniel. Way, way, to, way to keep us yeah. level-headed. Awesome Brazina, he's also here. What As up, man? Daniel said, we in our zone. We feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Daniel said that for sure. He for sure said that. Terrell <laughs> We still in this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Terrell Huff is here as well. What up, man? Yo, indeed, my man. You already know what we do. We support the arts here. Why? Because we are the artists. 
That is truth. We are the arts. If you you may we have are, heard we are. <laughs> the art of the nation. No, um, <laughs> you, you, if you missed season, if you missed part one of our season finale, uh, we talked about Kyrie Irving, and we were going to tell you about a second topic, but then you know J and T Charters blew our minds, so we had to regroup. We had to regroup, but this is still the podcast. We take one eh, this week, kind of two topics. We distill them down to their essence, the purest form. And we throw it in a little bowl, we mix it up, and we give it back to you, the people. You're the all people informed. Maybe, hopefully, a little more informed than like Kyrie Irving says things about like the flat Earth. What? A level above that information, but you you know what? You, let's be real. You're honestly somewhat in that vein where you're saying some things to your friends, and they're like, "Man, you don't know completely what you're talking about," but you kind of know what you're talking about because you listen to those smart dudes on the weekend it takes. Yeah. Um, and so, with that being said, it's time to talk about topic number two. Dope. Wait, no, Dale. I think before we talk about topic number two, there's a guy, and he's on this podcast. Yes, and I believe so. I give out the topic. He normally speaks, but and just because be? we're in part two of the season finale doesn't mean we're not going to have another edition of Terrell's first take. And Daniel, who's it sponsored by? Sponsored by J. Sponsored by Chris Uzman. Knockout. Automotives, baby. Yeah, yeah. There it is. There it is. Terrell's second first take. Yeah, you're right. Terrell's second first take under new sponsorship. Take it away, Mr. Poppy. Oh, man. Let's talk about James Harden. Right? I mean, let's talk about James. James. It's looking a little less hardened lately. It's a little, little soggy around the midsection, you know. Uh, you know, he's been taking some trips to hang out with his trainer in Las Vegas and Atlanta, which, you, you, you know. put that in quotes in case y'all didn't see yes, it because it's a podcast. Yes, sorry. Trainer was uh, yeah, in quotes. Uh, you know, quote, in quote, uh, it's his trainer in Atlanta because, you know, you got to get your training in, right? Um, and. You know, nobody needs to question why it is that even though he spent so much time in Las Vegas and Atlanta with his quote unquote trainer, he came back 20 pounds heavier than what he was when he ended last season. I mean, hey, and I'm only estimating 20 pounds. It could be a little bit more. Uh, You know, it's kind of hard to tell with the beard, uh, but I'd say he might have an extra chin or two under that beard. Now, that being said, um, you know, the media has been kind of going in a little bit on my man Harden because, well, you know, he's kind of being a little bit evasive when they ask him, you know, hey, are, are you committed to the Rockets? Uh, have you been working hard in the offseason? Uh, what's going on with you? Uh, you know, and he's been a little bit nippy. You know, he's, uh, you know, like I said, he's been a little bit evasive. Look, James, um, if you're not committed to the Rockets, just say so. I know your man's Westbrook is gone. Uh you know, there's been a lot of speculation about whether you want to play with John Wall. Uh, don't know how much truth there is to that. But um, this is a situation where, unlike uh, Mr. Kyrie Irving, I actually think that the media does need to press you a little bit more. Because realistically speaking, you can't allow things like this to get out into the atmosphere, rumors and things like that. And then turn around and act like it's all just a big annoyance to you when people ask you legitimate questions about your current situation. So in closing, I'm going to give you the opposite of what I gave Kyrie. Don't free James Harden. 
All right. The only thing that needs to be free when it comes to James Harden is maybe a couple of extra loops on that belt. Holla at your boy. Oh, no. My word. Oh, some, some, <laughs> some, some hot fire flames from Terrell Huff. On Terrell Huff's first take, and who is it sponsored by, Daniel? Sponsored by Chris Uzman's Knockout Automotive. Yes, sir. Come for a sweet white smoothies and a smile. Yes. Oh, he's even giving him a tagline. Uh, hey, Chris Usman, if you want to hire Daniel, I, mean, I think he's available for you, my man. Uh, he, all, you know, he's a capitalist. He always wants a little extra funds if he can get to it. You know, so he gas to pay. Securing the back. <laughs> Daniel, how do you how do you take your payment by a check or or some other form of payment? Smoothies. Any way you can get to me, man. It don't matter. Oh, never. I was I was I was leading you into straight cash, homie. <laughs> straight cash, homie. <laughs> hey, Dan, Bitcoin only. Bitcoin, Bitcoin only, homie. Uh, as Terrell Huff alluded to, we are talking about one Mr. James Harden and his ongoing saga trying to free himself from the Houston Rockets Rockets grasp. Um, so basically this kicked off in earnest when the maybe a little bit before, but kind of for real for real, when the Houston Rockets traded Russell Westbrook for John Wall. Um, that's when James Harden was officially like, yo, I'm going to need to be up out of here. And he gave the Rockets two choices. They could either send him to the Philadelphia 76ers to reunite him with Daryl Morey, or they could send him to the Brooklyn Nets to reunite him with Kevin Durant and, you know, unite him for the first time with Kyrie Irving and form somewhat of a super team. The Rockets have basically said, nah, we're not going to do that unless we get exactly the deal we want. Right now, none of the teams are willing to give them exactly the deal they want because why would you give a team with a disgruntled James Harden uh, premium value for said player? There was a report that, you know, the Rockets wanted Ben Simmons and multiple first-round picks, mm-hmm. and I could hear Daryl Morey laughing as I read the report, just cackling about the idea that he would give up Ben Simmons and multiple <laughs> first-round picks for this current situation. Uh, so this got even worse. James Harden decided he wasn't going to participate in the preseason activities. Um, he was basically holding out. Um, as Terrell Huff alluded to, he was, you know, working with his trainer. Uh <laughs> as Terrell said, quote unquote, and mm-hmm. did not show up for work. Eventually, James Harden did show back up for work and he did participate in, I believe, their last preseason game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, did James Harden things. It wasn't a most spectacular performance. I think it was like 11 points, four assists or something like that. Right. Uh, but he got it done and he talked about uh, coming back and basically said, this is what he said about his first performance. Uh, right now, I'm just focused on being here. Uh, They then asked him what he was doing, and he said he spent time in Atlanta and in Vegas, and he said, I was just training. Uh, And then they said, for what? He said, to start the the start of the NBA season. Uh, Basically, they asked him who he was training with. He said, just with my personal trainers. They asked him, after years of playing for Daryl Morey, does Harden believe uh, the new GM of the Rockets, Raphael Stone, uh, could could be could assemble a winner and he basically said we haven't had a conversation uh so not a sterling endorsement from james harden uh obviously that's not surprising given the current state of their relationship um and then of course from the team side there's been all sorts of you know leaks and reports uh basically a report came out that james harden has been in control of this entire organization for the last eight years everything from getting kevin McHale fired when they originally brought in mike d'antoni um everything from making them trade for Russell Westbrook to getting rid of Dwight Howard to originally acquiring Dwight Howard. Uh, Basically, James Harden signs off on all the personnel decisions. And so that was, uh, to I guess, somewhat to the Rockets' credit. They did say, hey, we are the ones who, whoever whoever was leaking this information was like, hey, we were the ones who gave him all this control. 
but he did have control nonetheless and now he wants out and that's kind of you know dirty of him uh is basically what they were basically getting at and so that takes us to where we are today with james harden still wanting out apparently at this point the rockets have increased uh the range of people that they're willing to trade james harden to it's not just his wish list that they're talking to in terms of teams that they want to trade him to um and but right now james harden is a member of the rockets and they are looking to trade him and it's seems like it's only going to get worse from here guys (laughs) facts so daniel how do you see this whole James Harden situation from the control he's had over the team to him asking out after, I guess, having, after basically calling his own shots uh, to his two trade destinations that he wants, where where do we see this? How do we see this affecting James Harden's legacy and how do we see this affecting the Houston Rockets long-term prospects? Um, For legacy, I don't see it affecting actually too much at all. Um, I think the MO for right now for James Harden has been that, you know, better talented, but he kind of skirts the, I guess, the, the line in terms of exploiting the rules to kind of get by. But when it comes to the playoffs or crunch time, he kind of folds when, when the stakes are highest. So that's his MO for right now. So I don't think him, you know, being disgruntled or whatever is going to change that or affect that. I think what he sees right now is that, you know, I need to win me a championship. No matter what, if I want to, you know, end my legacy being up here where I really want it to be, by any means necessary, I got to end my career with getting a championship. And I guess to him, he sees that as, you know, going to uh, to Brooklyn or going to Philly, maybe his best bet of getting there. Um, for how it's going to play out for this season, I think it's going to be um, kind of uncomfortable for a while, just because, um, honestly, this team seems like they actually have quite a bit of talent. Um, looking at, you know, John Wall coming back, if he can stay healthy, seems like he does have some of his old bursts back, shooting threes, Boogie looking good. Um, the guy they signed, Kristen Woods, is actually a stretch big, and he seems to be very talented too. So they actually might have some pretty decent pieces when it comes to a team and talent overall. But I think for James, like, I don't think he really cares about, you know, the talent he is right now. He wants to kind of get somewhere else. That I think he's kind of just tired of Houston. I think he's probably tired of the ownership. Um, he wants to go somewhere else, like you were saying, D, where he maybe has a, a more of a say. Um, I think part of the reason why, you know, they didn't fight too hard for Dermore to come back is because they wanted to go a different direction in terms of, you know, how the team is being run and operated. Because, you know, there's been a lot of stories leaked, leaked out about how much of leeway or how much weight James Harden had in that front office in terms of personnel decisions. Um, you know, sh- uh, bringing in Chris Paul and then shipping him out, <laughs> bringing in Russell Westbrook and then shipping him out. He's had a lot of say and kind of it just goes off of a whim of how he's feeling in terms of what they do for those type of personnel moves. I think they kind of want to get away from that and kind of give him more into the reins of ownership and less on the player. So I think in that sense, he kind of sees the other teams as, you know, more uh, conducive to kind of what he's looking for. Cause it kind of seems like Brooklyn's probably going to be more kind of led by, you know, Katie and Kyrie. So if I can listen to players more, probably same thing in Philly as well. So I think in that sense, he's going to, you know, still kind of kick and scream until he gets what he wants. Um, will they deal get done during the season? I think there's a chance it could. They might just get tired of his antics and trade him by the trade deadline. But if not, I think it would probably be next year after season's over where he gets moved. But I think at some point in time, it's not going to end well for these two. Um, it probably would be in the best interest to get them gone as soon as possible. But, of course, you don't want to, you know, end up getting, um, you know, pennies back, even though you're not going to get exact value for it. You still can probably eke out from somebody, at least some type of star or maybe some very quality young player or something. So don't go the route of the Spurs. 
go the route of of, of the Pelicans <laughs> and and the and when the trade out there, yeah, or the Thunder, when the trade's out there, you know, just pull the trigger on it and, and get those pieces back. So I think that's kind of what they're looking for and kind of holding out for them to add someone in there. But but no, I don't think they're getting like Ben Simmons back or anything, but maybe other young players and a whole bunch of picks, I can definitely see that happening. You know, Austin, what do you think about this from a player control perspective? Because we're starting to get into that uh, zone where we're seeing a lot of consistently players just kind of decide they want out and then the teams just kind of acquiesce to that. Um, how much do we who's who's getting most of the blame? I guess filter it through the James Harden situation, but are the players more to blame for their changing whims or organizations more to blame for their lack of control or somewhere in between? Where, where do you kind of sit on this? Well, ultimately the fault of any organization is the people in charge of the organization. If you as an organization place James Harden above your, your, your business, um, that's a mistake. I think from a business standpoint, no individual should be higher than the business itself. Whether that means you you straight up lose him or not, obviously that's not the route you want to go, but you need to be very clear as a leader, as a, as a business, we are the people who run this business. You work for us. That said, you should acquiesce as best as you can. I'm okay with players having input. I'm okay with, I think that's the foundation of a good relationship. You ask him what he wants and then you reasonably work it out. I think, for the Rockets' failings, I can't put it on James Harden outside of his playoff performances. That's a big problem. But the Rockets' failings seem to go well beyond James Harden. Um, from what we understand, Russell Westbrook didn't show up to training camp. That's why they traded him that day. They were like, all right, well, we're fucking done here. Like, this is over. So they had to get rid of Russell. And it just got worse from there. And Russell and James seemed to have a pretty good relationship. Russell's been very critical of the way the Rockets were run. He, he was critical of the way they ran things. He was critical of the offense itself and the team itself. And from what we can tell, it's not James Harden that he had a problem with because they're pretty good friends. They may not have been the best of buddies while on the team because they were losing, but it's not James Harden's fault. So I, I can't put it on James Harden. I, it's a failure of the Rockets organization to, to, to put pieces in place to succeed. Now, if that failure is that they put all their eggs in the James Harden basket, I, I don't know. I, I I mean, obviously, James Harden gets some of the blame for it. Like I said, his playoff performances have been terrible. There's that. But he has all the authority to ask to get out of there. And if I'm the Rockets, yes, like it, it's over. Like this is done. It's time to cut our losses and move on. It sucks, but it is what it is. We tried the James Harden one-man show, and it didn't work. That hey. said, as a sweeping question, I'm sorry, I was just going to say as a sweeping question, the gate's open. If If players want to leave, they can leave now unfortunately we were the victims of it as Spurs fans and as bad as it feels, who am I to tell them? No, you know, you know, I've, I've, I've come to peace with that. <laughs> like it, they're, they're more than welcome to do what they want. That said, as a fan, I'm still going to respect the dames and the Giannis's so much more for sticking things out and going through it hard. But I don't think James Harden owes anything to Houston. So I'm not mad if he wants out, let him go and try win somewhere else. He gave them, arguably five of his prime, his best years. So I, I don't think he owes them anything. He sold tickets. He sold merch. Houston fans love him. He did his job. It, same with LeBron and hindsight. Get out of there.
Do your thing, man. Saucy, you tell me, well, go on then. Go get happy. Go get go happy. Then. Be free, James. <laughs> Be free. No, I mean, I'm, I, I think it's an ugly situation, but cut your loss. Like, why hold on to this? James don't want to be there. All right. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, look, if he pulled – and speaking of James Harden, if he pulled the strings to get the players there that have been there over these last several years that he's been there, if he pulled the strings to get those players there and it didn't work out, it, even though I, I agree 100% with Austin, these guys can up and go whenever they choose. They can orchestrate that however they want to. But that being said, as far as, like, who's to blame, um, if – Again, if he pulled the strings to get the guys that have been there there that aren't there anymore, like the Westbrooks, uh, like the Chris Pauls, if he pulled those strings to get those guys there and it didn't work out, he can't blame anybody but himself because he didn't work out with those players. Um, he also really, in my opinion, is to blame. I, I personally feel like he should stick it out. You play alongside a guy like uh, uh, like uh, John Wall, who, by the way, I think is probably more suited to play alongside James Harden than Westbrook was. Um, you don't give that a shot and see how it works out. Then you really have nobody to blame but yourself because you're not even willing to get that situation a shot. So, you know, if he ends up somewhere else or if it doesn't work out, you know, with Houston, you know, I don't think we can blame Houston for it um, because, again, I feel like he was the one that pulled the strings to get everybody there. At least that's how the reports have shaped up is that he's the one that's been pulling the strings and saying to do this and do that. And even though it may work for somebody like LeBron, it obviously hasn't worked for somebody like uh, like a James Harden. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think he has anybody to blame but himself. Do y'all because- not feel a little bit like this is a a leak by the Rockets to blame James Harden though? Like, well, me- I, uh, I was going to get to that. And yeah. I, I would say that we always talk about on the show, whenever there's a report, oh. you have to, you have to try to figure out who the report serves. And so that will generally tell you where that report came in this case. I don't even think they're trying to hide it. I think right. they were pretty upfront with the idea that the source was from the Rockets organization mm-hmm. and that this is what they were saying. And to me, it does seem like a little bit of sour grapes. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to believe. I do not think that, James Harden, and this is just speculation. Obviously, I don't know as much as even the dude who gave the quote, but, you know, there's motives behind him trying to trash James Harden on the on potentially the way out. But I will say this. It's hard for me to believe that he has even as much control as LeBron James in terms of how he's orchestrating the team. Like, obviously, he has input. Like, all major superstars have input, heavy input. And I, I do... I do believe he had heavy input. I do think they asked, hey, you want to play with Dwight Howard? And James Harden's like, yeah, I want to play with Dwight Howard. And then when right. it wasn't working out, they said, hey, James, is this working out? He said, no, it's not working out. Right. You see what's happening. But they the also court. felt like it probably felt like it would make him happy. So, yeah. you know, and, they're and just so like, we'll you, do this you, and make it happy. You know, you have to decide how much control are you going to give to your superstar's wishes and move accordingly. I don't think that James Harden was executing his own offseason agenda because Daryl Morey is not some shrinking violet. He's he's putting together the team for the most part that he wants. Now, there was a report that ownership made him do the Russell Westbrook trade, and that was somewhat tied to the fact that James Harden uh, wanted Russell Westbrook. So on that one, I do believe he got overruled because ownership stepped in and made and made him do that trade. Uh, but for the most part, I think Daryl Morey put together the teams that he wanted to put together with signing off on it from James Harden to make sure that James Harden was in a comfortable position. There's conflicting ideas on if James Harden wanted to play this whole hero ball style. Um, it sometimes, you know, you got a lot of people saying he did want to play that style. You got some people saying he didn't want to play that style. I would tend to think based off what I know about James Harden and his game style that he probably doesn't want to play 
100% hero ball all the time, like the Rockets have kind of forced him into. But Daryl Morey thought that was the best way for them to win titles. And to his credit, they almost pulled it off that way. They were a uh, Chris Paul injury away from probably winning the, the 2016 NBA title. So, excuse me, 2017 NBA title. Um, so, you know, it it's just like I, I get a little bit wary of these organizations saying, well, we had this star player and he wanted us to – he wanted some sort of power and now he's mad at us and we've, we've ruined our team. It's like, well, bro, you decided to ruin your team. That's your decision. Now, is this James Harden also culpable in – his own failures in the playoffs? Of course. Is James Harden have to bear some responsibility for where the Rockets sit? Uh, of course. He's part of that organization. But this idea that James should have to stick it out because he's ruined the Rockets, the Rockets ruined the Rockets by first, you know, going completely insane on the small buy idea, which I guess is Daryl Morey's last dish effort after trading for Westbrook. Then they sold, then ownership, who was actually a good owner, sold it to a dude who seemingly might be in, in debt in terms of like not dead, but in terms of what you need to run an NBA franchise, it doesn't seem like this new owner has what it takes to do so. And he, there's some questions around his business decisions and all that kind of thing. And then they became a complete circus when they let Daryl Morey just walk out the door. So they have to bear some of the brunt on how they run their organization and some of the ideas and moves that they've made. Some of it's from a place of, of strength. Some of it's from a place of weakness and just trying to compete. But at the same time, these are decisions you made. And James Harden did not have a gun to your head besides the fact that he might leave. And if you think it's best for him to leave over not doing what he wants, there's plenty of organizations who have made that decision. Let's talk to the Spurs about it. So you can decide for yourself what what is the better move, but you can't then plead sour grapes when that move doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out. It was a decision you made as well. I wish there was somebody who was more of a, like a diehard Rockets fan on here because I know a couple of Rockets fans who could explain it better, but yeah. they have – hated the ownership change like with a passion everybody seems united on the fact that the ownership change was the worst thing to happen oh he doesn't know what he's doing it's absolutely clear he has no clue what he's doing and and at that point you have to pin the blame on the rockets over james i think but you know what were you gonna say d you were gonna push back a little well a little bit for the narrative though it's not exactly like the quiet situation because choir is more like okay if you don't trade me i'm not gonna resign with you i'm gonna walk or whatever i'm signing somewhere else and you're not james harden's actually yeah, James Harden's on a contract for, I think, another two years or so, so he could still be there. He's the one actually asking to be moved from the team. So it's not like they're saying, oh, let him go. He's quitting on the team. It's like he's asking to leave. So it's not that they don't want him to stay there and to actually be a part of the team. Because I would think as a new owner, you would want to have your box office guy still on your team for as long as possible to you know, have ticket sales or whatever until you have that transition to whatever you're going to do. But he was just like, oh, I just see what's going on. I want to get out of here too. So it's also a bit on James Harden for trying to ask out. And, I mean, a lot of stories are coming out, not only about James Harden, but also about some of these other stars too, especially like Kawhi Leonard. Um, again, none of them have been confirmed, but there have been the stories about how the stuff he was asking for from, you know, Toronto, from the Spurs before he, he got out, him and his uncle um, wanting their own jet, wanting certain box seats, wanting his uncle to have like a seat at the table with the um, – with the ownership or the uh, front office or whatever to be in all those meetings and stuff. So it's not without the possibility that these players sometimes do ask for a lot and sometimes they do get a lot too. So just because oh, yeah. you don't hear about the stuff that Damon Lillard might have, that Giannis might have, doesn't mean they don't have it. They might just be smart about it and don't speak about it, which is what I would do. It's like, yeah, if I have this power, I'm not going to tell you I have it. If someone asks me, I'm not going to confirm that. But that's just to say, in this day and age of how the NBA is, the superstar is – 
well within their rights to kind of be involved in quite a bit of stuff. So for some of these moves, I do believe that the reason Chris Paul is moved is because James Harden did not like Chris Paul. Oh, yeah. And Chris Paul has been, you know, a lot of people don't like Chris Paul in terms of playing with him in the locker room, too. Right. So that's probably why he got moved. It wasn't just because, oh, the ownership was like, do the trade. I think it was also a big part was like, hey, James is about to fight this dude. We need to trade him because he said he hates this guy. Yeah. And, um, and it's and, not the first time that James Harden has had butted heads with a player who has a work ethic. Mm-hmm. And Right. I mean, at this point, we're, we're, we're assuming stuff. And I'm, but... I'm not trying to – I just want to clarify real quick. I'm not – I agree. Uh, I also agree that, you know, in some respects, probably behind the scenes, some of these superstars ask for some things that aren't very professional. But when you wield that kind of power, that's your right to ask for it and get told no or get told yes. Right. And it becomes incumbent upon the ownership to do what they feel is best for the organization. If they believe keeping them happy is what's best for the organization, then keep them happy. But then don't, once you've made that decision, come and tell me about all the bad things and all the bad situations you're on, you're in because solely of him. You have to also take some blame. At the same time, I do think – you know, James Harden's handling this unprofessionally. And I don't want to act like Daryl Morey just did whatever he wanted free of James Harden's. I like James Harden's just a good employee coming to work and he had no influence or no, or even heavy influence. I just think that the article tried to make it seem like James Harden's been running the organization by himself for like the last eight years. And that doesn't doesn't make any sense. Like we we know Daryl Morey has been a very public face of the franchise. Either he's a very expert liar or, you know, he had, he exerted most of of the control he wanted to over sure. the organization, but the CP3, the CP3 trade, he definitely got ousted because James Harden hated him. The Russell Westbrook, as we already mentioned, he definitely forced that trade uh, to to go through. Um, so he's definitely exerted his power, and he's probably exerted more power than we'll ever know behind the scenes. And so I do sympathize with them that they've decided to throw their eggs in the James Harden basket, and those eggs have broken. But at the same time, I don't need all these reports about how James Harden has been the sole arbiter of your of your team for the last eight years because I don't sure. believe you. Yeah. Or else, if that was the case, you bet some of those players would have talked shit all the way out. Right. Yeah. Well, also, <laughs> I, also want to touch real quick on the okay. um, y'all. I talked about the, the hero ball thing for how James maybe doesn't really want to take on that role. I think the opposite though. You do? Because if you I, think about it, when I he agree. first went to Houston, it was hero ball that took him from being the sixth man to now being a superstar slash box office. MVP. Um, he wasn't just yeah, he wasn't just a starter or just a star. He jump four or five rungs up in terms of just exposure in the league because of what he was doing, the numbers he was putting up. So I think he probably tried, probably enjoyed that, you know, the accolades he was getting, um, even stuff off the court in terms of the circles he was moving in was because of how he was playing, not necessarily because of, you know, he had a big contract or whatever, but because he's putting up these crazy numbers by being the point guard and the main scorer and everything for that team. Um, the reason why I also think that he enjoys doing it is because, in comparison to someone like Carmelo Anthony, when he was playing hero ball, he actually came out and said, hey, I need some help. He said that in the media to people that I need help. You know what I'm saying? That's the reason why I can't get over the hump in Denver because I don't have any help. James has never said that. James has been like, hey, man, you know, it just didn't work out. We're going to come back next year and be good to go. But other players have, that have been in the same situation. At some point in time, it kind of grates on you if you don't really love doing it to that extent and they'll probably say something to have people you know bring in help for him but james has never been that way he's kind of just been pretty you know happy-go-lucky like oh well you know we lost again in the playoffs but hey we're going to be back next year or whatever he seems pretty content with his role and kind of where he as is at right now in the league whereas other players that kind of had similar playing styles 
they have said at some point in their career, even at their primes, that, yeah, I know I'm out here scoring 30 or 40 a game, but nah, man, this, I, I need something else to help me out with this because this, this isn't going to get it done. And that, again, it's going to be like Carl Mendes, Carl Anthony, and other players of that, of that ilk, too. Before I let yeah. the, uh, them get back in on it, I, do, I, I would ask you this, though. Do you, do you think maybe him saying, hey, I want help is – him having some influence on Dwight Howard, him having some influence on getting CP3 because he did want that at first and then got it and didn't like it as much. Him forcing them to get Russell Westbrook, is that him saying, hey, I need I need help? And then now saying, hey, get me out of here to places that have significant more help. Could that be him saying he wants help or do you, you, you not think that's – that is that not a proper read of that situation? So, well, I'm saying for that um... – Throughout most of his career in Houston, I think he was fine with his, the role that he had. Did he know? Do you think that they need more talent just to you know get further? Yeah, of course. You know, he always wants to have more talent around you, but around him to kind of enhance what he already does, um, taking all the shots, uh, controlling the ball quite a bit. I'm thinking for Carmelo Anthony, he was more of like you know I need someone to take the ball out of my hands some to help me out, not really just to you know enhance what I do and kind of help me score more points but actually to give me a break. And so I can, you know, and I have to have the ball all the time or have to be the man all the time. Um, I think that's why it's a little bit different in that extent. But for James, I think getting near the end of his career, he's starting to see now, okay, well, I do want that championship. I need something more because I have all the money. I have all the accolades or whatever, but now I do also want to still enjoy winning and have a taste of that because all my other peers and contemporaries have been doing that. And I actually want to at least be in that circle at least one time before I get out of here. So I think that's why now he's kind of shifting his mindset saying, okay, well, now actually, yes, I want help. I'm going to go get help myself because I don't trust y'all to get enough help around me because we haven't been going anywhere. Um, even though, I mean, they got deep, but we haven't won anything here in Houston. So I want to go ahead and make my own path and find my own help. Yeah, you you can kind of tell by the fact that I'm not yelling at Daniel that I, I, I'm on the fence on the James Harden wants help or doesn't want help type of argument. I do think that there is a realm where maybe he, you know, he obviously he's benefited from being the main guy and he's enjoyed those benefits. There's no, there's no doubt about that, whether he wants it that way or doesn't want it that way. I would, I would genuinely like to know the answer. If you ask James Harden, even at the beginning, if he says, Hey, what's the optimal way to win what he would tell you? Cause I do think those two things can be a little different where he's enjoying the fruits of, of being the guy, but then also understanding this is not the optimal way to win basketball games. And I think maybe, maybe if it's even one day, like, Hey, I'm going to rise my star now, but eventually I have to get back to the optimal way to win basketball games because this isn't it. So it'd be interesting to get him in a room and, and pick his brain on that kind of thing. Uh, Austin, my bad. I cut you off. No, I was just going to say to push back on Daniels a little bit. I agree for the most part because he hasn't been public about it, but I don't think Russell Westbrook comes to Houston. If James doesn't want a little bit of help. Um, because you, unless he's just dumb, you have to know that Russell coming in is going to cut into your numbers. Like y'all play too much the same. Y'all both need the ball. Unless you were just in a, unless you just don't give a shit about the NBA and you're like, Oh, I want to play with my homie. Like he had to know that was going to cut into his numbers some. So that would be my one counter to, he doesn't care as much about it. I I do agree with you though, that he is perfectly happy being the guy like that is, Even if he never wins a championship, James Harden's going to be remembered as a great basketball player, and and that's a man who was the sixth man at one point. Like it, it, it's a remarkable upgrade from what he was in 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 OKC. So ultimately, no, I don't think he cares about championships as much as other players do. Obviously, that doesn't mean he doesn't care, but I mean, right. it doesn't seem to be the deal breaker. It doesn't feel like it defines him. Yeah, and that's cool. I I mean, like I was kind of touching on when we talked about. LeBron and, and, and Jordan, um, 
it's a the NBA is a unique league because you can transcend the sport as an individual. Yep. Allen Iverson has ultimately become a, a, an icon, and he never had any success. Grand, grand scheme of things, I mean, he you know he obviously has success, but you know you know what I mean. Yeah. So, so we like the reason we kind of ended our quote unquote season on these two topics is because it was it was basically players versus institutions is what we're getting at with these two topics. In this case, the institution is the kind of the Houston Rockets. It's also the NBA at large. There's a lot of complaints these days about the amount of power that that players wield. Um, is this ultimately detrimental to the business model that the players are wielding this kind of power? Or is this more sour grapes because we've never seen it before f- from the players in this way. And now people are kind of salty that the quote unquote, to use a terrible analogy that Houston, former Houston uh, Texans owner, Bob McNair, I, I rest in peace, used the inmates are running the asylum quote unquote. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you guys feel about, where the players are taking this power and, and how they're wielding it. I'll say this. Cause I was going to touch on it earlier. I ultimately do not like how the current players are handling it. And I don't mean every player, but the, the general overwhelming amalgam of players, whatever I'm trying to say, the, the, the current thing it's within their rights to do whatever they want to do. They have the power and I'm get the money. I, you know, do your thing, get, get what you want to do. But I think the telling sign that they've been flaunting this power a little bit too much to the damage of parity, it kind of started with Miami and the, the, the banana boat, all that nonsense. <laughs> that, that, that is the start of where it was like, all right, good for y'all, but the fans suffered to an extent. Now, they played great basketball. Like, if you're a basketball purist, have fun with it. Um, but it, as far as like parity goes, they destroyed a couple teams in the process. Cleveland was destroyed at the time. Sure. That wasn't LeBron's fault that Cleveland got destroyed. I don't want to put it on him for that. But the small markets are going to suffer the more that this happens. And I think that the the most telling problem that that has kind of rippled out from here is everything that happened with Paul George, everything that happened with Kawhi, and what came out about Gian, uh, Giannis re-signing. He showed the Bucks ownership, the texts that he was getting from other players. He was being poached. And for whatever reason, be it loyalty or be it the way he was raised to do things, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be open about all this. I'm going to show them what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's not just Giannis who's getting those text messages. Paul George got those text messages. Kawhi got those text messages. Um, James Harden's getting those text messages. They're all poaching each other to form whatever teams they want to form. And it goes against the very notion of competitive, like business model. It it goes against the very notion of that, because what's the point of tampering rules, which I don't really agree with tampering rules. I I think it should be all fair game, but this is the byproduct of a free market. When you have a free market, somebody's going to absorb the power and players are not immune to that just because they're not entities themselves players are not immune to soaking up all the power into one section for the sake of winning. And I think from a parody standpoint, it's a problem, but it's their right. Honestly, for me, I don't think, I don't think it's been a problem at all. Actually, I think it's like Derek was saying more sour grapes that now the players are the ones making the decision. Um, Because let's talk about it. If you want to talk about small markets currently suffering in today's NBA, small markets have always suffered in the NBA. That's never been, been different. Um, Parody in terms of other teams winning the championships, 
forever has been like the same three or four teams winning championships every year. It doesn't matter if the, you know, they're staying in the same place or not. Usually if you have the best player in the league, you're probably going to get to the championship and win it no matter what. So it really doesn't matter. So that's why I think a lot of times why people are saying it's an issue with the league. It's because now it's not the owners making the decisions of, oh, okay, I'm going to pay you or trade you. It's the players making the decision now. So people get upset when they assume that, oh, these, these players now are kind of stepping out of line when it should be, you know, the business top down. But now the workers are the ones telling the business what to do. And that doesn't make sense in capitalist America. When we look at it, all that's happening right now is still what's always been in terms of parity and in terms of making this money. And honestly, because of the players moving around actually helps out, I think, a bit of parity, too. Um, because let's go back to, to, to Cleveland. Um, let's say if it was like the, the, the League of Old with Cleveland drafting LeBron James, he probably been stuck with that team with the terrible talent around him for years, That's maybe right. breaking through one time, maybe just once to get a championship, and that would have been about it. That would have yeah, been the story were, of LeBron James. They were heavily capped out. Instead, LeBron left. They drafted Kyrie Irving. They drafted the draft capital that allowed them to get Kevin Love. And so that worked out for them, ironically. No, that but, actually, mm-hmm. I, I'll concede that that kind of destroys what I was saying. And it right doesn't there. always, though. But I'll That's push back thing. on that that is an example of – one, a little bit of luck. You know, Cleveland got lucky with number one picks. Sure. Two, I don't think that excuses how demoralizing it was for fans. I, I think from the player's perspective, it's better. They're having more control. They're having more fun. But the casual fan is going to get turned off when super teams form, and they will feel cheated. Now, that's not fair necessarily, but – like I said, speaking as a Spurs fan, I right. felt very upset about what happened with Kawhi because that was my dude. I was, you know, I was super pumped to have Kawhi be the next Tim Duncan. And that's that's unfair to him. I mean, that's right. me projecting stuff on him. But for him, for all the trickling stories to come out about what happened there, for us to get no closure and all that, that's a unique case. But that's what happened to uh, – but- Indiana, but, but Indiana even, yeah, but even that, there's also a report out there that Kawhi said he wanted Paul George, and San Antonio didn't get Paul George. So even that, the organization has some culpability oh, in yeah. what they decide to do. Yeah. And what I think uh, one of the things I have an issue with is, and I'm not saying Austin's doing this specifically because I understand his point. But too often, the organization gets left off the hook because of player the player empowerment movement when the organization has its faults as well and is culpable in some of these things. By and large. If you're in a good situation, players have not left good situations, by and large. Kawhi, probably a notable exception. But then again, you know, there's things that happened that you could say that's not necessarily as good of a situation as it could have. It used to be a good situation when Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu were on the outskirts of their prime. And then it turned into a bad situation and the Spurs didn't adapt to that situation. So there's always things of that nature that occur that can shift the momentum. Where I agree with Daniel... Um, and then we probably need to let Terrell off back in because he hasn't said anything in a minute, <laughs> is that the, the, the this has not changed. And Austin's kind of already conceded. What's the difference between Red Arbach fleecing the Sonics and the Cavaliers or whatever he did, acquiring Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Dennis Johnson, and uh, and uh, I'm missing somebody. I'm missing a member of the Celtics Big Three, but I can't for the life of me remember. Oh, Robert Parrish. Parrish. Robert Parrish. Um, what's the difference between – Red Arbach doing things that should not be able to be done in the league and assembling a super team or the, Pat Riley getting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, Magic Johnson, and, and, and you know, and a cast of other good role players like Byron Scott and Michael Cooper. 
and Tim Tim Duncan saying, "Hey, Kawhi, you want to come play here?" I know that's not what happened. I'm just saying as an example, or you know, to use a real example. Hey, AD, you want to come play here with me in, in LA, and we'll get KCP and a f- couple other dudes, and we'll we'll try to make a go of it. <laughs> like, what's the difference between a GM assembling it and a team assembling it? Because at the same time, at, no matter who's been in power, that power has always fluctuated to the coasts. So it's not like it's different. No matter what happens, at least with the players doing it, there's a chance Giannis might say, hey, uh, Paul, you want to come be here in Milwaukee? And Paul might accept that. Well, the players actually somewhat even the odds out because left to the own devices of, of, of the power structures, it will be the big market teams who always get what they want. And in this case, it will more most part be that as well. But the players actually, I think, are have a somewhat slightly better chance of evening that out because honestly, Miami, who are they? Like, I know it's Miami now, but before LeBron went there, who was Miami in real terms? They were nobodies. Now, I know so, they have the advantage of being on the coast and being a, a nice little destination. That wasn't working out for them before LeBron James came there. So, like, there's always a chance a, a team that wasn't on the map can be put on the map. And as we said, even Cleveland, they benefited. In the end, they ended up getting Kevin Love. They ended up getting their super team. In the end, you know, Golden State manufactured their super team. Um, Actually, so it, it, there's a lot of different ways to look at this, uh, and I think fans tend to only see the one through their view, their rearview mirror, their specific lenses. But I, I, I do think that overall, this is actually good for the league. It's just that you know it doesn't look like it's good for the league, and perception becomes what perception is. Uh, Terrell, I'm sorry. I, I, no, I, I actually, I, I had a real quick take on it. I mean, because we've talked about San Antonio to an extent, and we've talked about Cleveland. When you look at Cleveland with uh, LeBron when he left that first time, and uh, you look at the Spurs with Kawhi Leonard uh, when he left, obviously the circumstances were different, but the here's where I felt like, and, and I was kind of alluding to this earlier, small market teams don't seem to deal with as well the loss of, you know, like a, a big time player. Um, you can see these coastal teams kind of, you know, figure it out because of where they're located, because of, you know, um, the fact that oftentimes the better players tend to levitate towards those parts of the country uh, when it comes to, to where they want to play. So they obviously are in a little bit of a better position. And then it just comes down to making somewhat sound decisions. When it comes to the small market teams like a Cleveland and like a San Antonio, you see kind of two opposites of how you can handle those situations and how they can turn out. With Cleveland, LeBron left that first time. Uh, obviously, the second time was a different story, but LeBron left that first time. And what happened was, and, and the funny thing is, is, Cleveland kind of is a story, uh, is both ends of the story now that I think about it, because LeBron left twice. But Cleveland, the way they handled it was like you just said, they got some draft capital. They were able to get uh, Kyrie Irving. They were able to get Kevin Love. And when LeBron went back there, they had the pieces in place to win a championship. Um with the San Antonio Spurs, it was obviously a bit more unexpected. And when it happened, what did they do? Rather than say, okay, well, let's see if we can get some draft capital and we could put a little bit of a team together and start over. They didn't do that. What they said was we could still make the playoffs for a couple of years. We could still figure this thing out. We could still, we'll be all right. And what ended up happening was not that <laughs> they didn't make, you know, they didn't make the playoffs. You, the streak ends. And on top of that, now, you know, most people don't pick them to do much of anything in the West. So you're seeing sort of the difference of what can happen with these small teams and how they can handle these situations to hopefully put themselves in a better place in the future. And so that's what we're seeing right now. And as far as the players can kind of controlling the situation, 
The funny thing is, is even that is sort of a tale of two cities because LeBron, I felt like as much nonsense as he got over his initial decision, he air quotes, he, um, you know, at least at that point, it was like, I'm pretty sure he had discussions with the, you know, with the, you know, I know that the owner of the team said a lot of crazy stuff and he wrote some letters and all that nonsense. But for the most part, though, like you said, they came out on a better end of it when it was all said and done, uh, where you look at San Antonio and it was like, you know, you had a player that forced his will in a situation where it was like he, he didn't have good intentions when he did it. I think I honestly think LeBron had good intentions. I don't think it was screw Cleveland. I don't give oh, a yeah. crap about this team. Y'all ain't y'all ain't doing nothing for me. Y'all just, you know, trash. Yeah. You know, it, but with with um, Kawhi Leonard, it was basically like, I don't like the Spurs way. I don't want to you know, take less money. I don't want to put us in a position to get some other players in here other than the guy that maybe I want. And so that in that situation, from a player control situation uh, standpoint, we saw two different ways of doing things. So, I mean, it's really interesting when, you know, and, and I was only forming that thought when we were talking about the two locations of Cleveland and talking about San Antonio and them being small market teams. So you really get to see the bad end, so to speak, and the good end of what can happen in those situations. Um, the funny thing is, is like, I'm not horribly surprised about the large market teams like your Boston's and your, um, you know, and, and your LA teams, uh, you know, and, and maybe even to a smaller extent, like uh, uh, Miami, I'm not surprised that players, you know, are in a position in those locations to say, Hey man, you know, why don't you come play with us here? Because it's not hard. It's not hard to convince other players in the league. Maybe somebody that's, you know, maybe on the bottom end of their peak. It's not hard to say to the, Hey man, why don't you come play with me? You know, you, you, you've been playing hard enough to get a ring and you just haven't had the pieces around you. Come play with me. I'm over here in L.A. Let's do this. And so when I see something like that, it doesn't surprise me in the least. I mean, you know, and, and I'm OK with the players pulling strings in those situations, um, but take the onus if it doesn't work out. Own it. Yeah. And that's all I feel about it is if you're going to own it when it doesn't work out, which I don't honestly feel like Harden does, um, you know, and, and, and I don't I don't feel like he owns it. There's been a couple of situations where big time players have come there. It hasn't worked out. And really, he's sort of stepped aside and sort of stepped back like, hey, man, I did what I had to do. I was being James Harden and I, I can't speak about the rest of this stuff. He may take the onus in behind closed doors, but he doesn't seem to do that in the media. Yeah, I uh, and I agree with most of that. I, I will push back on what y'all were talking about a little bit before about, um, oh my gosh, I lost the thought. I'm sorry. So I'll push back a little bit on what you were all saying before about the, the players organizing teams being um, the same as the other. The only, the only problem I have with that from, from just a pure logical standpoint, the players are not trained to run teams. They're not taught to run teams. That may be a problem. That may be something that needs to change, but the players, their whole lives have been trained to play basketball. Business stuff should be handled by business experts. So if in a vacuum, an owner should be not smarter. I don't want to say smarter, but the owner should be better at building a team than a player. The players don't need that power because the players are going to make sloppy decisions. Not all players, obviously. And then some players are great coaches. Some players go on to ownership of sorts, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. I think, though, in a vacuum, when you're an active player in the league, you should not supersede somebody whose job is to build the team. Mm. In a vacuum, I cannot rationalize that to be good for the organization. 
I cannot sit there in good conscience and be like, all right, at this job, this dude had a better idea than the CEO mm-hmm. or not, not a better idea. This dude is overriding what the CEO said to do because he thinks it'd be good for the company. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it's an interesting power dynamic. It's not cut and dry, but in a vacuum, that's why I can't vibe with players being better at the job than GMs. So mm-hmm. my, my counter to that would be, and this is where if, if, if all 30, NBA teams were running smoothly and, and perfectly. This might be a different discussion, yeah. but it's it's always hard for me to care more about the in the individual team's product than they do. Um, and by that I mean they will do they will pull Joe Dumars off the streets with no experience in a heartbeat to run a team. In a heartbeat, they'll do they'll bring a name in who will sell some tickets and jerseys just because he's a name and say, "Hey, man, this is our new GM." And you know, Steve Nash is a head coach; he hasn't coached a single second of basketball. You know, Steve Kerr when he became a GM, he hasn't GM'd a single sec. Uh, he wasn't an assistant GM. He wasn't a you know he didn't work his way through the ranks. They will let these dudes with no experience who just seem to like know how to put together teams run a team in a heartbeat. So why would I say a player can't do that? And I agree with your assessment. In general, that players have a very the only slight have a very to that is I can't excuse bad ownership. If you're going to be a bad owner, then you're stupid. I can't fix that, but in a vacuum, it shouldn't be that way. But I agree with you. But I, you know, and so I, I, I you know, in theory, a, a player is going to do some some damage, like we saw with LeBron when he was controlling Cleveland. He made him not made him, but well, he he leveraged them to Tristan get away Thompson all the, to, to give away all their draft capital. That was bad in the long term. Players have very short term perspectives. A team in general or in theory should have a long term perspective to make a contender for years to come. We don't always see that happen, even when they're left to their own devices. So again, I, I don't know that players and and it's not like this is a football roster where there's a lot of complicated pieces to the puzzle. I don't think it's that uh, outlandish of an idea for James Harden to say, Hey, I'm going to go link up with, with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and maybe that'll work. Uh, I don't know if it takes an expert GM to put that together. Now it's going to take a GM to put the pieces around that. And so if players flex their muscles in that way, that, that could become a problem, I guess, maybe, um, but at the same time, I'm not sure that LeBron James doesn't know the complement of players he can put around him to be successful as a team. Um, well, for the sake of it, though, we're not talking about LeBron. We're talking. Well, about no, no. I'm just saying. I just yeah. use him as a as a, even a KD. I think he's smart enough to know what dudes need to be around him to be to pr- proceed on a basketball court. Um, so I get I get your point. Um, the only thing I would say is that we're not in a vacuum, and that teams make poor decisions all the time. If their poor decisions lead them to players wanting more control, that's on them. Now, at the same time, I do want to get this point out real quick. The players are going to have to answer for this in some way because the owners aren't going to let this stand. And I, I, that doesn't mean I have to like what the owners do in response, but if the players keep flexing on the owners as hard as they're flexing and very publicly, the owners are going to have something to say about that, and they are going to have to negotiate with those guys again because they, like I always say about the players, are the owners' business partners. The players are the owners are also the players' business partners, and so when you treat your partner that way, there's going to be some fighting about it, and they're going to have to deal with that those ramifications at at some point. Uh, because the owners aren't going to to like it, but as we see, as we've seen a little bit, the owners can get in their own way because they're the ones who shorten these deals so that the players would have more play to 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 move because they were tired of giving these players bad deals, so they shortened it from seven years to five years, which allowed players to move earlier. So you know the the owners 
even from the player movement standpoint, on off the hook for some of the things that have happened in this era of basketball. Yeah, I mean, I, I think also why it's hard for this comparison is because, you know, the NBA isn't, you know, the same as a traditional business in terms of how it's operated, in terms of kind of what your goals are. Um, because it's such a finite amount of resources that there is for the NBA in terms of what you're trying to get to have a good team, that I think that the players and the front office are pretty much doing the exact same job, exact same goal, which is to accumulate talent on your team. That's the main goal of front office is to identify talent and bring it in and somehow work out the cap to where you can sustain that talent for a long period of time. Um, so for every team, their goal, well, yes, you also want to have an eye on the future, but your main goal is, hey, I need to get my team as good as possible so I can win the championship now and win it the next year and the next year going forward. So I think in that sense, the players actually made the front office job easier because a lot of times before this happened, the main thing was trying to go in there, convince players to come sign with us, but take a little bit less so you can play with our, our star over here. And then, you know, we were bound with other teams and stuff. But now the players are like, hey, I've talked to them. They want to come over. So let's go ahead and make that happen. And when you have that type of leverage, then as the team that you have the player on, it makes your job immensely easier because now you have the leverage and negotiation with the other team. You have no leverage in negotiation with the contract because they're willing to take less or they're willing to say, hey, trade me over here or I'm not going to play. And that makes it easier for the team itself. That's why I think it's actually a benefit to them just because, you know, it, it makes their job easier in that sense. Um, and also, like, like Derek was saying, in regards to basketball, I mean, there's only five people that play at a time. So basically, if you have a talented person out there at another one, then you're most likely going to win a lot more games just based off of that. So uh, for these super teams, most cases, except for LeBron, most times the stars aren't trying to get the teams to sign role players or, or whatever to the squad. Like, they don't really care too much about that. They just want the other star to, like, be there, bat into the Robin or whatever. And then they let the, the front office fill in the rest of it which is their job. It's like, okay, well, you know, the talent's here, the talent's to come here. How can we work that out for the cap to make it happen? And that's their role is to make the cap work, is to make sure everything actually works under the cap and going forward and everybody's happy. Their role isn't really to say, we're the ones who get to pick the talent and bring it in. It's like, no, if talent's there and we think it fits, then yeah, bring it in. Who cares who found it? As long as we get it on our team and it works, then that's my job as the front office is to balance the cap and to get these trades and stuff too. That's what I'm saying. I understand what you're saying. Um, it should be more top down. But I think in this sense, though, it kind of benefits them for having the players being so active when they're coming, though. But when it's the opposite, though, then, yeah, in terms of, you know, well, we, yes, we want to trade you, but, you know, we also want to get something back. So we're not in this hole, like Charles was saying, you know, with San Antonio, where it's like, oh, now we're kind of just in limbo, not really going anywhere. If you can, you know, stay quiet or whatever, we can get you to a good team, but also so we still get more back so that we're okay, too. But then they're not getting that option anymore. Now it's like, okay, I want to get traded. I want to get traded to these three places, and that's it. In most cases, they don't have much talent, much talent they're willing to give up anyways. Yeah. So it kind of puts them in that, in that hole of where, okay, well, we have to trade them or let them walk, so we have to get something for them, or else our fans would be really upset. But what we're getting back are probably like a whole slew of, like, you know, draft picks, like the 30th pick or whatever, which is like we have to get lucky to, you know, hopefully find a diamond in a rough and kind of salvage our team. So on the opposite side, I can see where that's going to be a big negative for the front office because it's like, okay, they're running everything now. So we can't even try to salvage ourselves. And then um, lastly, in terms of the owner, I guess having enough of it, I, it, it kind of depends what type of owner you are. If you're the owner to where you're like, I want it to be my way. I want it to be back to the old way where I have more control. Then you can stand on that soapbox and scream all you want. 
But a lot of other owners are like, hey, man, people are coming to my team and I'm fine with that. I'm fine winning championships. So, yeah, have fun, you know, move over, whatever. I'm fine winning championship for like two years and then being bad for like two years and then good again in three years. I'm fine with that because I'm making money and I can deal with that. And if it's the new NBA, then I'm ready to play. So as an owner as well, you have to decide, you know, is everybody with me or is it split? Because if it's split and you're not on the right side in terms of taking care of these players, then a lot of times you're probably not going to have too many quality players on your team and you're just going to have a bad roster just for however many years. And then you draft somebody, you groom them up, they might leave again because, you know, the market, it, you have to follow what the market says. And the market says right now you have to be lenient to these players to get them to want to stay and to play on your, on your team. So as per capitalism, you have to either adjust or you die. So I'm saying for these ownerships, it adjust their mindset or they might not be around for too much longer or not make that much money off these teams if they don't adjust to the new market. So I don't see that changing too I mean, too soon because, again, if they want to change, you know, maybe like a franchise tag or whatever, they have to give something to the players to get that to go through. I don't know what else they can give to these players that they will be willing to give up that freedom. Uh, it'd be something big. So I don't know. Yeah. I agree with all that, and I do want to add just to, to shoot a hole in my own argument. We kind of know what top-down looks like, and it's not good. It's the NCAA, and and they're they're a factory that's business over interest completely, and, and that ain't good. So I agree there's got to be a middle ground, but I don't – I think for fans, it's not the right direction. But, oh, I mean, that's we, selfish, but we, that's what it is. We, we will see. And we will we will end that discussion right there. We'll probably go for like three hours on that topic because there's just so much nuance and depth and just variables. Uh, we're going to have to eventually get on out of here. But before we do that, Terrell, I know, you know, you got your new sponsor. You're all excited and stuff. But I still have a question for you, and that would be, is it time or is it perhaps not time for the greatest segment in the history of time? Oh. No, I think it's time. All right, we're going to do it a little bit different because we're ending the season, you know, season finale. Big stuff, big stuff. Uh, big stuff, big e- stuff. You know, everyone is going to go through and, and and put someone on the uh, the old grill, to put it in Trey Blanco terms. Uh, I'll start off the bidding, and I'll start it off with the Democratic Party. <laughs> they're, they're not my king, and here's why. They kept AOC out of an important uh congressional position to where she could affect some some change on on climate issues with a um, secret vote yeah with a mm. secret vote i don't think it, it's not it's not that they did this it's it's that they did this to oac aoc who is a pretty rising as a rising star in your party um people you know seem to seem to like her within you know the democratic party there is some infighting about you know, from the moderate side about, you know, is she some kooky liberal who wants to do take things too far? And I just, I said this on Facebook. It's not, it doesn't bode well for you when I can say something like, oh, at least the Republicans listen to the edge of their party. The Democrats seemingly continuously use progressives to try to win these elections. And then when it comes time to put up the money, they don't, they don't show it. And to treat someone like AOC, who is, a rising star that way doesn't bode well for how I think you view progressive progressive progressism in this country. And I have a problem with that. Um, I don't think that, you know, the democratic party has to lean all the way to the left or all, you know, you know, I think there's room for moderate Democrats and I think there's room for, you know, mid, mod, mid, uh, right Democrats. And I think there's room for left Democrats, but I also think they have to work together 
um, if they want us to believe that they're a cohesive party. And right now this shows me that they're not a cohesive party and that there's a fracture coming. Um, and I just don't think this is how you treat a member of your party of AOC's caliber. Um, I just thought it was bad pull um, from the moderate dims. So, uh, you know, moderate dims got a moderate dim, as I always lament, and they seem to be doing just that already. We'll see if they turn it around. Who wants to jump in? Anyone else got anything else or did I make the segment up and it's not going to fly? <laughs> it's not going to fly, but I'll try to help you as best I can. Okay, okay, uh, okay. So, Get in there, um, D. For me, yeah, for me, I have to, I guess, throw on the grill or for this is your king. Um, this is NCAA, man. You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, they really struggle. I'm going to focus specifically on college football just because that's, this happened recently. It's like a fresh wound for me in terms of college playoffs and everything. But, you know, I mean, their whole thing was uh, they first couldn't decide, you know, should we have them play? Should we not have them play? Um, what should we put in place to protect these players? You know, can we protect them? And then, you know, they kind of been to the will of the media and kind of got forced into saying, okay, we got to play for sure to get this money and protect the kids or whatever. And so, you know, they kind of had to each lead do their own things and kind of go through it, just kind of praying that, you know, just get through this season, get through this season, um, be safe though. So, you know, if we have to reschedule games or whatever, we had to get these games played and, and take care of everything. But I mean, when it came down to it though, it was like, well, you know, all those games that you had to risk your lives for to play, you know, exposure to, to COVID, uh, reschedule stuff, uh, change everything around. They really don't matter because we can change the rules when we want to and allow Ohio State into the playoffs because, hey, they only play six games. Um, they really play six because they changed the rules again to allow them into the championship game. So because of that, um, so all really that we've been they doing really didn't, didn't matter. So yeah, really, really only five. So honestly, we should have said it from the get go that really, if you have games canceled, who cares? We don't matter as long as you win the games that you do play. You know, we're good. it's good for us. And if they had let that, if they had said that, I think you would have seen a lot of teams not working as hard as they did in terms of the COVID protocols, in terms of rescheduling games and, and running around and all this kind of stuff to get these games played because they thought it really meant something. Um, so in that sense, you know, the NCAA once again, you know, when. Uh, ample time for them to step up and say, hey, no, these games matter no matter what's going on. That's what we tell our, our fans and our, our leagues every year that the games matter. So make sure you play a tough schedule. You play all your games and you look good in your games because if not, it's going to hurt you no matter who you are. And they really kind of showed themselves once again over this COVID stuff because it's like, well, you know, it, it kind of matters unless you're like a blue blood program because y'all make a lot of money. So we kind of need y'all to play. So we make a lot of money. So, you know, if you're not a Blue Blood program, then, yes, play all your games and make sure you play them and win them all and play a tough schedule. But if you are, yeah, you know, as long as you look okay and you know, don't lose too many bad games or whatever, you'll be good to go. Uh, because if you look at the rankings for today for the college football playoffs, uh, Derek, Oklahoma is yes. number six. Yeah, I saw. Oklahoma yeah, I saw, is I number six. I saw. That was uh, I believe they started the, 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 the year, I think, like one and two or, so, or something like that. Yeah. Two, I think Two bad they, losses, they, too. Yeah, two bad losses too. But apparently, those losses don't mean a thing yeah. because they're like, you well, know what, what Oklahoma's 12, been Daniel? looking hot. <laughs> well, yeah, and apparently nobody wants to play Oklahoma right now. It's like, hey, this is so hot, no one wants to play them. So let's let's reward them and so let's hurt teams bowl. like Cincinnati, yeah, yeah. or Coastal Carolina, the and Florida. Yeah, you get the cotton blow, so they, they they get some of the money, more of the exposure, and everything because you know. They're blue blood. They've been around. They've, they've been to the plus before. They make us a lot of money. So we're going to help them out and really just kind of just shit on all the stuff we've been saying for years about this whole committee thing. That we need a committee because teams are playing these terrible schedules and a piece in the BCS and running the score up, and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Well, now we have a committee to where people aren't running the score up, 
and they actually aren't playing good teams or playing games at all, and it really doesn't mean anything. So <laughs> it does, it's the same thing. Like, we replaced the BCS for a committee, and they're doing the same thing as the BCS, where it's like, hey, are you a, a good program? And at least, the BCS, at least the BCS was a computer with scientific data. At least yeah. it was that. Like, by, by the way, Daniel, exactly. you, you, you stole my thunder because we talked about that on the show today, and that's like literally what my Is This Your King was going to be, is how you going to have A&M out here looking crazy. And I'm not an A&M fan by any means, but how you going to have A&M out here looking crazy and you're going to just, oh, go ahead, uh, Ohio State. And, and we literally talked about the fact that they said, oh, and by the way, you only played five games. Let's change our rules so you can play in that championship game. So, yeah, I'm, I don't need to say no more. You with it. And then yeah, on top, and, and then on top of that, D, before you get back going, because I can see, I can see you, you cooking. Uh, <laughs> on top of that, UH, U of H basketball, entire basketball team has COVID. So just you know, just add that to the NCAA field. Now go, keep keep flaming. <laughs> well, so I'm saying these teams are doing everything they can to try to play these games because apparently it's important to play them, putting their lives at line, their future. Who knows what the ramifications are for having COVID long term or anything? But they're doing it because one, they love the game and they they want to win a championship. That's why you play the game. So like we have to play these games to win a championship. When at the at the very end of it, when it's time for you to actually play for the championship, like oh, all this stuff you did before didn't matter at all. So it, it it's infuriating, man. But I mean, also it's also expected, I guess, because Intel has always done this. So I guess it maybe it's on me for expecting something different. When they kind of shown you time at the time of the time, they're always the same, self serving. We're about the money and taking care of ourselves, and then the student athletes uh, second. And it's been that way, and it hasn't changed. You know, they told us it would be changing. Um, so yeah, man, I'm it hurts a little bit more because I'm I am an AM fan, so that hurts too, but also it's just the, the sense of how it's been playing out. It's just like so this whole season was for nothing really, because it's like you don't have the games really didn't matter as long as you were have a good recruiting class, have been there before and look okay against bad competition, then yeah, we'll give you a shot. Go ahead and try to take on Alabama or Clemson or whatever. And to also say that, oh well, you know, um uh, Ohio State couldn't can really control COVID. You know, it's not their fault. It's not their fault that they you know, this stuff happened. Well, it's like, okay, well, injuries aren't a fault either, but I'm pretty sure Clemson would have lost Notre Dame. They would have had two losses and been out of the championship or out of the playoffs, and they couldn't control Trevor Lawrence, you know, getting COVID and not, not playing that game, but they still would have got that loss on their record, though. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, they don't give great explanations in terms of what's going on, but at this time we have to kind of grin and bear it and just allow it to happen because you know that's what we have for right now. So, if if <laughs> I wanted to make a ironclad case against states' rights, <laughs> the NCAA would be that case. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, Austin, did you have anything? Or are you or are you out? Uh, I have. I actually thought of one. Um, it just made me angry while I was thinking about it. But uh, the the perennial one, uh, I'll, I'll just touch on it because I think it's important. And my ever my ever important quest against rhetoric, um, the the current trying to pass the relief bill, um, six hundred dollars, and and everything else going on with this. The Republicans are are supposedly stonewalling it because they don't want people on unemployment to receive it as well, because they feel like they'd be double dipping on a. Uh, on, on, on benefits at that point. Uh, just everything about it, complete disaster. It's, it's absurd. They, they very well, if they don't come to an agreement, we'll have a government shutdown for the holidays. And that's the fact that it can happen. It, it's, it's so ridiculous to me. Like the, the whole concept of government has, has, has made me so angry over these last 
times that it just it, it, it's unconscionable that their job is to get this to work right like you could lock people in a room and and get stuff done all anywhere in the world mm-hmm. but for whatever reason people who've been elected for their job to do this for america can't do it over the course of months yeah. literal months it takes my choice do. It's disgusting. It By choice. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. The fact that these people aren't being just destroyed by the, 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 the riots. <laughs> like, that, it, it's so weird to me that, that, that this is happening. It, 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 and there's no repercussions whatsoever. They're going to go home and enjoy their holidays. Yeah. But the one I actually thought of, as angry as that makes me, the one I actually thought of is Elon Musk tweeting out the picture of the dude rubbing blood on his face saying when you put he or him in your bio attacking pronouns like that so elon musk decided to do this he got called out for being transphobic and attacking pronouns and of course elon musk is like no 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 i'm not being transphobic i just think all these pronouns are an aesthetic nightmare this motherfucker (laughs) named his child the sound aol logging in online makes that's the name of his child that whatever the fuck it is that is his kid's name and he's like, all these pronouns, they just don't make no sense. His child has like 10 fucking vowels in his name. Mm, and you're not, you're not transphobic. And you're not transphobic. It's, it's, it's so, it's just so infuriating. Elon Musk has, has uh, for good reason, become a poster boy for um, um, the, the new generation of, of red pillars, whatever you want to call them. Um, incels all, all that kind of stuff he's become the poster boy for the for, for the generation of that because he's rich he has money so he's clearly right and and everything in my fiber hates people in power and i hate them more when they're bad at wielding their power and elon musk is absolutely using his power for selfish reasons and to be to be blatantly transphobic in 2020 as an individual is 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 a mockery of of just people's lives sure it's it's touchy i've grown up with hip-hop i've grown up with rap i i can give passes to people being homophobic 20 years ago even though it was wrong when you're raised a certain way it's 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 what it is but in 2020 to still have these opinions and these beliefs you're you're trash you're absolutely trash and i can't handle that i I shared a meme the other day that was like, what is something the rich do that if the poor did would be frowned upon? And they had an answer. And then I was just admitted the answer. And I was like, everything, anything, the rich, anything, the rich do, if the poor do it, it's awful. Oh, the the number one thing, getting, getting tax breaks. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) God for, like you said earlier, God forbid someone on unemployment gets an extra $600 to live during a pandemic. God forbid that. Well, yeah. So even on on that for the release bill and everything, it it, for it, months, it, by the way. Yeah, it, it's pretty apparent that they really value protecting the rich and that really not the poor at all. Because what they're fighting for in that bill, the reason why they're trying to knock down the the amount on there mm-hmm. is actually for liability protections for the businesses right. when people go back to work. So those protections, of course, would be worth maybe in the millions of dollars for these businesses where they give, you know, the poor people or people out of work, not able to actually have their own business or, or go to work, only $600 for help or own whatever. And not even give people, like you said, on unemployment, that type of relief as well. So it's pretty, pretty stark contract in terms of who I'm trying to serve and work out. But for whatever reason, 
most regular people are fine with that because like, oh yeah, businesses, businesses, businesses are all on the pedestal and they need all the help in the world. But right. us as people, it's like, no, we need to fend for ourselves and we should be uh, having our own business. Own if, we did, if we did, we would be okay. But if, since you don't, that means you're lazy or you're not innovative or, you, you know, you're not working hard enough. So if you did, you wouldn't be in this position and wouldn't need this handout. Or you're bad with money. You. you didn't, you didn't yeah, save $3,000 for a pandemic as we bail out banks for not having cash reserves. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and the economy, the, 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 this, this current GOP talking point of the economy succeeding under Trump, the economy is at an all time high. My ever, my ever going war against rhetoric. If somebody's talking about the economy, Replace the word economy or, or stock market with rich people's money. Mm. Rich people's money is at an all-time high. Rich people's money is doing well right now. One, the top 1% of wealth in, in America owns 57% of stocks. The stock market is the wealthy. It's, it's not the economy. Don't call it the economy. Don't fall for the trap of calling it the economy. It is not your money. It is rich people's money. Mm. And then usually when like pandemics or recessions or whatever happens, it's not the rich that suffer. They actually end up getting richer once it's over <laughs> because everybody suffers, but they're able to take advantage As of the, the economy starts to, recovering. Yeah. To improve themselves while, you know, regular people like I don't have that, you know, excess income to take advantage of this poor market or poor housing market or whatever. So I'm, I'm going to probably be in the same place, if not worse off. While other people, you know, oh. other the rich people are able to improve their position, you know, maybe like tenfold after and this I'm, is over. And to keep flaming it, Disney, Disney is riding the sympathy train at an all time high and it is driving me insane. People are like, oh, my God, Disneyland has to close for a while. Stuff like this. Disney is going to come out even stronger because all of their competition is going to die during the pandemic. Everybody is going to be bleeding cash reserves and Disney is going to be sitting on a mountain of cash. And as soon as everything opens up again, Disney is going to be in sole control of stuff that had to be bought out in times of hardship. Well, this this episode, this two part season <laughs> finale, it had everything. You know, it had flaming Kyrie Irving and, and and by proxy Hoteps. It had you know the player empowerment movement in the NBA. We took out management. We're taking out the United States government and how it uh, can't function. By the way, if you want to give the United States government a chance to uh, function again, and you live in Georgia for some reason and you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and vote for uh, Raphael Warnock and uh, his uh, John Osoff and his good friend John Osoff as well. Vote your Osoff. Yes, sir. And so we'll we'll see we'll see about that. If we, I don't know what will happen if the moderate Dems get control of Congress, but I think we'll be a little better off than what we are right now. So yeah, we'll, see what, we'll see what goes on. That being said, my my friends, it's been a wonderful season. I think we capped it off with three special shows. I really do believe that. Um, we, we 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 did the damn thing this week, and so I appreciate y'all's patience. I appreciate y'all's words, even when Daniel was flaming me at the end of midweek take last week. That was unfortunate, but it was something that I guess had to happen for the. It was for the you deserved it. I, I didn't yeah, deserve it. Quite I didn't deserve it. But that being said, uh, brilliant year. Season one is in the books. I am, of course, your man, the most venerated host. Dr. Lewis, your wife's favorite podcast, right? Nah, third, baby, yeah. Start course, the third, gonna end the third, the third forever. <laughs> Three's up, and, and ever, and ever, ever, and ever, Three and ever, ever, and ever, Three ever. And of course, my friends, have been along for the ride the whole the whole season. Awesome, Brazina, say goodbye to the people. We're going on Christmas farewell. break. Farewell, happy holidays, and merry Christmas. Daniel, please as well join him in in season's greetings. So long, folks. Till next year. Happy holidays.
And of course, the man himself really needs to get off this podcast because the children are wilding and we've had him for a long time. We really got to get him out of here. Terrell Huff, say goodbye to the people, seasons, greetings and such. Peace out. Support the arts because, well, we are the arts. And of course, on behalf of everybody at the weekend to take Terrell, hit him with the outro, baby. The weekend to take because sports may end. Wait a minute. Did I say that wrong? The weekend it takes. The weekend it takes because the week may end, but sports don't. What? I went the whole season without messing that up. <laughs> I know it's the very last one. <laughs> I was like, Terrell, no. Oh, hey, man. Hey, man. It happens. Goodbye. Goodbye. We can take.